Well, we're in a section in Isaiah that is describing the failure of Israel and how God is going to bring his solution to their failure about. Uh, Most of the first half of Isaiah has been about the sins of the people, the sins of Israel. And chapter 40 then began a message of hope and comfort as God is going to act on behalf now of his people because they have been sinful and need deliverance. Chapter 42 then talked about God is going to send a servant. A servant is going to come and he is going to do what God has wanted him to do. He is going to be what God had desired Israel to be, though Israel had failed in that. And we're going to pick up now in Isaiah 42 verse 18. I think the chapter break really belongs there. And we're going to take that all the way to 43.21 because I think that's where the chapter break begins over there. And this is going to be really the right chapter of Isaiah as we're going to be in what I'm calling Isaiah 43. Uh, But this is this important section and what it's going to do is reveal to us the character of God. Uh, What we're going to see here is really something amazing about though Israel is a failure, we're going to see God operating with a failed group of people. And we're going to see something, I think, pretty amazing about the God that we serve and how that changes our lives for how we live today. So Isaiah 42, verse 18. Hear you deaf and look you blind that you may see who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send. Who is blind as my dedicated one, or blind as the servant of the Lord? He sees many things, but does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. The Lord was pleased for his righteousness sake to magnify his law and to make it glorious. But this is a people plundered and looted. They are all of them trapped in holes and hidden in prisons. They have become plunder with none to rescue, spoil with none to say restore who among you will give ear to this will attend and listen for the for, for the time to come who gave up Jacob to the looters and Israel to the plunderers was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned in whose ways they would not walk in whose laws they would not obey so he poured out on him in the heat of his anger and the might of battle and set him on fire all around but he did not understand it burned him up but he did not take it to heart let's stop there and take that as our first section is here now god does something i think really fascinating he says all right now here is my servant israel is there anybody more blind than my servant anybody more deficient and unable to hear and unable to see as them so this is a Uh, really a horrible declaration because consider that these are the people of God. And God comes in and He says, you haven't been what I wanted you to be. You have been insufficient. And He doesn't come along to Israel and say, now you've got this, you can do this. Instead, He wants to deal, I think, with the pride and boasting that Israel has and says, look, you have been a failure. You have not been what God called you you to be. You have come up completely short as being God's servant. Remember they were the people entrusted with the very oracles of God that they were supposed to give the message of God to the world. 
And of all the people who should not be blind and should not be deaf, it should be Israel. And here he comes along and says, is there anybody more blind than them? Is there anybody more deaf than them? Anybody that can't see any worse than them? It's a horrible statement because here is the people of God. And rather than leading people to God as God's mission was for them, they themselves cannot see and cannot hear. In fact, you notice it in verse 20. He sees many things, but he does not observe them. His ears are open, but he does not hear. What an important criticism. And really an important warning about God's people who think they see, but they're not really seeing. And think that they hear, but they're not really hearing. They're not really understanding the Word of God. They're not listening to what God has to say. They think that they see. They think that they understand. They think that they hear and observe. But their actions show that they do not understand nor comprehend the glory of God in the slide. In fact, that's what I think makes verse 21 so powerful. Notice what God says. The Lord was pleased for His righteousness sake, for all of our Sunday morning, the righteousness of God, plug it in right there. For God's righteousness, for His sake, the Lord was pleased to magnify His law and make it glorious. Now that's quite a declaration. Here is God saying, here's the purpose of my law. I gave my law so that you would know me, that my character would be revealed through it, and I would be praised and my law would be praised. I gave my law so that you would see it and understand my character, my goodness, my righteousness, and would glorify me for it. And Israel didn't do that. And I think it's an important thing because we need to make sure that we do not fail at the same very thing. That the purpose of God's law, the purpose of His words, the purpose of His teachings is that it teaches us about God and would cause us to glorify God. It will cause us to magnify Him. It will bring about a desire within us to give Him the praise that He deserves. And we're not supposed to approach God's law and go, well, that thing's boring. I don't want to have to read. I don't want to have to worship. I don't want to have to study. I don't want to have to pay attention to the things that he has said. God's people are to be careful observers and careful listeners of his word and not like these people who says, oh, they see, but they don't observe. They hear, but they don't understand because they're missing out on what God has to say. And they're missing out on seeing the very glory of God in his laws. And that's an amazing reminder to us about what we are doing when we read the word of God, that we are supposed to be able to see the character of God, namely his goodness, his faithfulness, his righteousness on display in the words that we read. And God comes along here in Isaiah and says, you know what? My people, 
The people of God, Israel, you know, don't know what they are a failure. They are blind and there's no one more blind than them. And there's no one more deaf than them because they don't see my glory in my law and they don't make it glorious. It is a huge reminder of what our purpose is. It is a reminder of what we are supposed to do as we seek the law of God, as we read the law of God, of what it is supposed to mean for us, and that we are supposed to make it beautiful and show the world the beauty of God and show them that the law of God is something to be desired, that we would be able to utter words like Psalm 19 that speak of the law of the Lord as beautiful, perfect, pure, like sweet like a honeycomb to our mouth is it our desire as David would proclaim or is it like Israel that goes I don't care because I don't see what's glorious about it it's a very big statement that God makes, Israel failed and because of that verse 22 he tells them they're the ones that need deliverance, they're the ones that need help, they're the ones that are failing and God now is going to have to do something about it. I hope that we will consider that we will show the word of God to be our delight and that we will consider in our actions on a daily basis how we can do what verse 21 says that God is pleased to magnify his law and make it glorious that we will go about the earth doing that very thing that we will show people that it is our delight to read the law of God it is our delight to read the word of God and to show the world that we want to obey it. That the word of God, the laws of God, the commands of God are desired from our heart. We love what God has to say. You know, it's a, a poor representation to the world. If we portray a perception of God that says, yeah, you know, God's got a lot of these rules and, you know, you just got to do those things and. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of them either, but, you know, we just got to do what we got to do because, you know, God said it. And that's, you know, that doesn't make the law glorious. That's not showing the world and magnifying the words and character of God. That's what we're supposed to be doing, not denigrating the law by showing a lack of zeal or desire for it, but desiring it personally, as well as proclaiming to people. This is good, and I enjoy the law, and it is my delight. Let us share that joy and delight with others around us. Israel did not do that. And so God asked the question in verse 23, is anybody going to (laughs) listen? Here God says, you're my people, I gave you every opportunity, I revealed my character, my righteousness, my, my love and graciousness through my law. And you are blind and didn't listen. Now, now are you going to listen? Are you going to learn from your failures and your mistakes? And now go a new path. The way that God directs. Will Israel now change its ways? Or will they continue to not observe and not listen? Well, I think you know the nature of humanity, right? What do we do? We think we're going to change and nothing changes at all. 
We hear the message of God and then Monday rolls around and we're right back to doing the very things that we were doing. Notice in verse 25, he says that he poured out on him the heat of his anger and the might of his battle. He set fire all around him. What happened? Still didn't understand. The very end of verse 25, it burned him up, but he didn't take it to heart. All of these punishments are going to be levied against Israel. We've been talking about Isaiah's not only mentioned the Assyrian attack, but he's already prophesying that they will go to Babylon. That's how chapter 38 and 39 ended. Will Israel now understand and learn and change its ways? Will now the people of God do better? God says, no, they won't. I'm going to bring judgments and fire and crush them and they will still not understand. Now, the Proverbs tells us that's a very foolish thing to do. <laughs> Proverbs 27, 22, crush a fool within mortar and pestle along and crush grain. Yet his folly will not depart from him. Yeah. You're supposed to learn from discipline. You're supposed to learn from judgment and punishment. You're supposed to learn from these things. God says, will my servant Israel learn? No, they're not going to learn. They're not going to change their ways. So what is God now going to do about this? God says, I'm going to bring judgment against you. It is deserved and you are not listening. You've not been the servant you're supposed to be. And so judgment now falls upon you. Chapter 43 now, what will God do? Verse 1. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seb in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Stop there. So God comes along and he says, really, what am I going to do? And he says, but now. And so what we're getting then is a contrast. Your present ways deserve terrible judgment. But I am going to do something amazing in your future. You are not listening. You're not observing. You're not hearing Israel. And so judgment falls and you still don't learn. And so here's what I'm going to do for you. And you have to love what he says there. Verse one, who created you, who formed you. Here's what God says. Fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Here is God saying to his people, even though you're going to pay the consequences for your sins and you are deserving of judgment and Babylon's going to take you away for your sins. That does not negate the faithfulness of God. God says, fear not. I've redeemed you. I'm going to buy you back. I'm going to bring you back to my own. You're my people. 
And so the covenant promises of God are not destroyed, even though that deserves to happen. That's one of the messages of the prophets over and over again is you have broken the covenant and God is remaining faithful to the covenant. Even though you've been an adulteress to it, your God here still remains faithful. And keeps his promises and says such beautiful words. I've called you by name. You are mine. You belong to me. I have redeemed you. I know Ephesians was a little while back, but I hope you'll hear a little bit of the echo of Ephesians 1. As it's talking now to the new people of God. You are redeemed. You are chosen. You are saved. You are my inheritance. Same language that Paul is using there to say, now you Christians, you belong as the people of God. You are the new Israel and you need not fear for God has redeemed you. So here is the hope that God is giving saying, off to Babylon you will go, but God is not going to leave you then in the lurch. He's going to do something about this. In fact, notice three great truths that come from this. Verse 2 is so powerful. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. Here is God saying, you're going to go through a horrible time. It is going to be difficult trials. He likens it to be like going through Floods and fires. And though you go through the fire in life, and though you go through the floods in this life, God says, I'm not abandoning you. I'm with you. Though you're going through great difficulty, and you are paying the consequences for your sin, Israel, God says, I'm still with you. In fact, verse 4, unbelievable second truth that comes from this verse 4. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. Here is God looking at a bunch of rebellious people who he has said, you're blind, you're the worst, there's nobody more blind than you, and you were supposed to be my people, and you need deliverance because of your sins, and even after I press judgment upon you, you still will not learn. And God says, but I love you. But I love you. You are precious in my eyes. You're honored to me. Why well, we get that all over the New Testament. We get that in words like in First Peter where he, he writes about being precious in his sight. It's amazing how God is able to look at his people who are covered in sins and say... I know your filth and I know that you are rebellious, but I love you and I'm going to redeem you. In fact, that's what he uses there at the rest of verse four and also in verse five is I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to gather you up. I'm going to buy you back. You're mine. And what a statement that God describes here. He says, I'm going to pay the price again. You see that in verse 3. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Seba in exchange for you. He reminds them of when they were in Egypt and says, I paid a ransom to set you free from your slavery before, and I'm going to do it again. I'm going to buy you back again. Why? Why, God, are you going to do this? Why are you going to do this for this people? You're precious in my eyes 
and honored and I love you is what God says to them. And so a reversal is coming. God promises a reversal, though they do not deserve it. God does this for his own righteousness. He does it for his own glory. And the third great truth that comes from it now is when you bring verses one and two together, is we are reminded then that the Lord had not redeemed his people to simply enjoy pleasures and luxuries on this earth. Verse 1, he says, I've redeemed you, I've called you by name, you are mine. And then what's the very next thing he says? So when you go through the waters and when you go through the fire, I'm with you. I've redeemed you, you're mine, so that when you go through these things, you will know I haven't abandoned you. It's an amazing message that's given to us that we are not redeemed to now go sit on the couch and relax and okay, we're redeemed. We just have nothing. No, even very next words, you're going to go through tough stuff. It's going to be difficult. And he writes it to Israel. You're going to go through floods and fires. But my redemption is to carry you through that so that you will know that I'm with you, that I love you, that you're precious in my eyes. And that message is so powerful for us as it reminds us when we go through trials, when we are attacked by Satan, when we go through the difficulties of life, the promises stand the same, but we are redeemed that God loves his people and he will not abandon them. It's a great promise that God gives over and over again. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, why? For the glory of God. Here's Isaiah saying, you're my people. I've redeemed you so that you will bring glory to God. That's why I made you. That's why you exist. That is your very purpose. That is your identity is to bring glory to God. And now watch what God does with all of that. So he tells them, don't fear. I'm with you. I will buy you back. I love you. I want you to go a new path. And so I am going to purchase you again because you are precious in my eyes. Look at verse eight now. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together, all the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I I am the Lord and besides me there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you were my witnesses declares the Lord and I am God and henceforth I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back? What an amazing statement is now God comes in and he says, I want you to recognize the truth of the matter. This is supposed to cause an awakening in the heart of Israel. It is supposed to cause them to see. And you see that there in verse eight, in verse nine, bring out my people here who are blind, yet they have eyes, they're deaf, but they have ears. This is supposed to open their eyes and open their ears. In fact, gather all the nations around and watch what I am doing. I am doing this for my people so that they will know 
That I am the only God and there is no other. That I want them to learn something critically important. That all people throughout the world will know that the Lord is the only God. That there is no other Savior. That there is no other Deliverer. And He's trying to get them to go away from idolatry. Don't let your heart go to these false things. The Lord is the only Savior. He is your only Deliverer. You cannot find hope in other things. In fact, it is those other things that enslaved you in the first place, that has caused this very problem to come up. And as you put these concepts together that Isaiah is proclaiming, you you really just get a, a staggering message that here he's telling them, you've defied the true God. And so he saves you to show how good he is. It's just a ridiculous act of love on God's part. He says, you're blind, you're deserving of judgment, and so I'm going to save you so that all the world will know that I'm the only God and there's nobody else. I'm the only Savior. I'm the only Deliverer. There's nobody that can help you. There's nobody else that can save. The point is that God's goodness is to cause us to stop living how we're living in terms of idolatry and worldliness and believe in God. And that's what he's doing right here. Now open your eyes and see how many times must God save and deliver and show goodness and mercy and patience. And he's looking to his people and saying, now will you see? I'm saving you in spite of your actions. I'm saving you even though you are deserving of wrath. I'm redeeming you. I'm buying you back. That's how chapter 42 began. I am sending a new servant who's coming to save. You don't deserve that, but I do that to show my goodness. Will that change your life? Will it change how you live now? Or will you continue to live blindly and deathly? He now presents a final thought. And really, it is a picture of a new exodus that's going to come for his people. Listen now to Isaiah 43, verse 14. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans and the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down and cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches, for I will give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Amazing ending now. God says, I'm going to intervene one more time. 
In verses 14, he says, why? He says, because I'm your redeemer. I'm the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord. I'm your creator. I'm your king. He just goes on and on and says, I'm going to do all these things for you because I'm God. I hope we get a sense of that when you read Isaiah. That God over and over again says, here's why I'm doing this. It's because I'm God. Not because of you. Because I'm king, I'm savior, I'm God for my righteousness, for my name, I act. Not because of something you did. You didn't turn on the button and got God to move. He says, I'm doing this. And then he goes on and says in verse 16 and 17, he reminds them of what he did in the first exodus. Do you hear the language of the first exodus? Makes a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, the chariots and the horses and the armies lie down and can't rise up. This is the exodus of Egypt. They went through the sea and the Egyptians are destroyed in the sea. And so then he says, do you remember that? And then notice verse 18, he says, now, don't remember that. (laughs) Did you see that in verse 18? He says, verse 16 and 17, I'm the God who gives a great exodus, who goes to the sea and destroys your enemies. But don't remember that. What? Remember not those former things, he says. Well, there's a reason why he says that. Verse 19 Because I'm doing a new thing, he says. And the point that he's making is, don't look back at that past with such a focus as if that's the only way God can deliver. He can deliver in an entirely new way. And notice how he lays it out. In the past, we had Israel enslaved to Egypt. And God led them out through the sea. He says now in verse 19, this time I'm not going to do it through the sea. I'm going to lead you through the wilderness this time. I'm going to take you out of Babylon and I'm going to bring you back again. And so a great deliverance is going to happen yet again, but it won't be like it was before. The point is there's no obstacle too great for God. God doesn't have to do it the same way again and again and again. A new exodus is going to come for Israel. A new deliverance is going to come, but it's going to come in a completely different way. So he says, don't remember the former things. Yes, I'm glad you remember that God delivers, but don't be stuck on that as if that's the only power God has. God can deliver you from this as well. And there's nothing that the history of God's actions in the past is supposed to lock us in and go, well, that's the only way God operates. Now he says, I'll just do it a completely different way this time. I'll deliver you in a whole new way. So this is the picture then that he gives to us is that the past is to confirm to our minds, to confirm to the people of God that God is able to deliver. But to look forward to a new deliverance, to look forward to the ways that God is able to help, that God is able to take his people through the waters and through the fires of life. And the the great thing that Isaiah is predicting and prophesying, no matter how significant their sins were, though they were blind, though they were deaf, he says, I'm going to deal with your sins. 
And I think as, as I read Isaiah, and I hope it's a question that keeps coming to you, is either how is God doing this or why is God doing this? And I think a big why comes out right here. Why is God reversing their fortunes here? Why is Israel going to get another exodus? He says, I gave you one before. I'm going to do it again. Why? Would you look at verse 21? That God is delivering his people yet again. He is saving them. He's taking care of their sins and bringing them back. And he loves them and honors them and redeems them. Verse 21, the people whom I form for myself, that they might declare my praise. And he said that back in verse seven, you were created for the glory of God. And then the New Testament comes along and takes all of this imagery and says, you now are God's people. Now you have been redeemed. God has delivered you and called you as his prized possession. And he's made the promise that he will never leave you or he will ever forsake you. And why does God do that? So that we would proclaim the glory of God, that we would show how good and glorious he is. That we would read his word and it would strike our hearts because we would recognize the righteousness and glory and goodness of God. And we would proclaim that to the nations and to other people, to our friends, neighbors, co-workers, that we will tell them, look at what God has done for us. Look how he has radically changed our lives. Look at the hope that we now have. Despite all that we have done, he has caused us to be a people and redeemed us for his own possession, brought us into his glorious kingdom, given us hope to call us children of God. Why would God do it all? So that we would proclaim his praise. So that we would give him the honor that he deserves. So that we would stand back and point to God and say, look at all that he's been doing. And he's been doing it from the very beginning. And notice that the anger of God is aroused against Israel when they failed to see it. When they were blind and deaf and failed in their purpose of showing God's glory through the law to the world. Let's not fail in that purpose. Let us show how good God is in our own personal activities that we love the word of God, that we desire it, that it is sweet to the taste and we want to spend time in it and then show it with our obedience and show it with our mouths telling the world about the great redemption that's found in our great God. Pull your song books out and we'll sing the invitation song. And we invite you to find the grace of God and to see the hope that is found in that grace. We learn so much from the failure of Israel, of what God wanted his people to be. And Israel came up short and now the new servant has come, Jesus the Christ. He comes and delivers his people, creates this new group and says, now be my people as you were supposed to be. Let us not take that for granted, but let us simply enjoy and desire and delight in the great glory of God. And may that cause us to serve him and love him every day. Will you use this as your and just another tool, another weapon against Satan? For when your temptations come against you, 
to see how good God is. Despite our sins, He has redeemed. And live your life in a way that says, I want God to be glorified. And committing another sin will not do that. Allow this to be another tool to fight and show how much you love God. Won't you come now as we stand and while we sing?